So I'm not a big fan of Riker's new swoopy hairdo. Okay, but you don't have to be. I'm not sure what they're doing with him, but I think maybe they're trying to make him a little looser. I don't uh, like He couldn't it. get much looser than he's been. You said it, not I'm me. I'm saying that Riker's really slutty. He is, yes. Yes. Aside from that, I liked Power Play quite a bit. Yeah, it was... I mean, this was a really interesting week because these two episodes were kind of night and day for each from each other. Um, they're very different types of episodes, and yet they're both... I thought they were both excellent. Yeah, this is definitely just plot, thriller. This is a big, you know, elaborate, high-concept sci-fi plot. Of course, saying that, though, there there is a lot of nice character work well, in the yeah. episode, and there's a nice little backstory, and there's, you know, there's it's fun the, things. It's the kind of episode, I mean, it wouldn't work as well if we haven't spent the better part of five seasons with these characters. True. We know who, I mean, this is, a, this is one of those episodes that, like the game, was is very disturbing to watch because we see characters that we know and like, and we know how they act, and acting very unlike themselves, you know, it's it's disturbing to see Troy and, you know, Data acting like that. It's very disturbing to see O'Brien acting like the way he is. Like, these are a lot of the, you know, the frightening and disturbing parts of this come from how well we know these characters. And at this point, it's built up these relationships, again, even with a secondary character like O'Brien that well, we... Well, well, I was about to say, I mean, you know, you talk a lot about how we spend five seasons with these characters, and, and we have, but O'Brien is still... Uh, I guess sort of a cipher in a lot of ways, and we don't know that much about him. Now, he has been fleshed out more and more, of yes. course. And this may be a good opportunity for, for us to do our uh, periodic segment that I like to call Let's Check In with Chief O'Brien. Aww. Because how are you liking him? Uh, you know, I actually think... And I'm doing this for a very specific reason that will become obvious later on. Okay. I find Keiko and O'Brien kind of adorable because they're just like... they're. I'm glad you do. They're the little domestic sitcom that we check in every so often and then we see, oh, they're squabbling over the underwear on the floor or, you know... O'Brien's trying to feed her potatoes. Yeah, it's like, you know, they have these little, you know, moments here and there, but... Do you think he tries to feed Molly potatoes? I hope not. Because she doesn't have teeth yet. Yes, I know, but you can mash the potatoes. Um, um and listen i don't know what babies can eat they eat food okay so like you and me babies are people but why do they have to have separate baby food then oh that's because babies don't like things that have a lot of pepper in them well what's wrong with that pepper's awesome i don't know babies just have no taste um you know in a way they almost stand in for this is what domestic life is like on the Enterprise. I mean, they can... Yeah, this is what domestic life is like on the Enterprise. We know what... Every once in a while, you're just enjoying a beverage with your baby, and <laughs> your husband comes in, it's possessed by a uh, space-faring entity, and torments you. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens. Um, but, you know, this happens in the real world, too. It happened to me last week. Um, were you the torment door or the torment D? I'll leave that as an exercise for the listener. Okay. Well, that's very nice that we are giving them some interactive. um... No, like, you know, pretty much if we can imagine any, we know what, again, the bridge, the bridge crew is like, we know what a little bit of their off time. And, you know, I think it's actually very telling that none of the bridge crew members are married or have very strong relationships. Yeah. But um, for the kind of lower tier people, I mean, again, what O'Brien and Keiko do is what we can assume any couple on the enterprise 
their life is pretty much that. And so it characterizes – again, it gives a different atmosphere to what this enterprise is, what this ship is like. I think that's an interesting point, and I, I don't think you're wrong. And you know what I like about O'Brien as a character is that he is the sort of character that you can only really do in this type of television show, which is yeah. a recurring character that's not – a main character that you can drop in on from time to time and do different things with him than you could with any of the main characters yeah. because you don't want to have to maintain a, a wife for, say, Riker or a yes. child for Riker. And so you get a lot of really interesting, nice things with that. I also think that O'Brien is just a fun character. And I, I, they don't use him a lot, of course. I mean, the last time that he really had a prominent role in an episode, I think, was what, way back in the third season with the wounded? So yeah. they don't use him a lot, but when they use him, they use him well. And, you know, what I, what I like about him in, in Power Play especially is that he's the only character that seems at all grounded in a way because... He's the only character that really seems to, you know, he's the only character in in this in the show that has an ongoing relationship with someone and has a has a child, and so it it adds a you know obviously they're using O'Brien and they're using Molly and Keiko because it adds a layer of complexity yes, and it adds of a layer of, of of terror to the episode, but it also works to remind us that these are the people that we care about in, yeah. in the bad situation. Yeah, and I mean, it, yeah, again, you have a, a woman and a baby and, you know, someone's waving a phaser at them. That's scary. There is another horror that we know that this, you know, we know how O'Brien, again, how O'Brien and Keiko act towards each other normally. We even know what they're like when they're having an argument. And this is so beyond the pale. I mean, you know, most of that scene is he's really not a major player in that subplot. He kind of sort of knows who they are and is waving the phaser, but that's all this is. We see most of that from her perspective. Yeah. Where, and again, we as the audience know more or less what's happening. You know, we know that they're possessed by something, you know, even if we don't know the full details by that point. But seeing it from her perspective where she knows nothing, again, her husband is just waved with a gun and doesn't seem to know her. I mean, it's a, this was, this is a more frightening episode. Yeah, absolutely. And then I also think, you know, you know, to the episode's credit, it uses, you know, characters in interesting ways that we haven't seen yeah. before because Troy gets an opportunity to be mean and in charge. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that that's nice because they're using Marina Sirtis in different ways. You know, we saw that even, you know, only, yeah. only a few episodes ago with Disaster, for example, when she was, you know, in, in command of yeah, the ship, yeah, 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 yeah. essentially. And, and now she's getting to play act. They're uh, sort of giving, yeah, the actress more to do. And, and I mean, I like even that. Data gets a, you know, Data we see is now very impulsive in this and very, you know, very hot-tempered, you know, in this part and very mistrusting. You know, he's acting very undata-like, you know, yeah. and not in a way that is Brent Spiner clowning around, you right. know, putting on a mask and trying to be Mr. Comedy, you know, it's a bit more i don't know subtle in a way yeah well he's 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 obviously playing a, a different character from data he's a you know because if you look at the way brent spiner plays lore for example yeah you know you could say okay well he obviously is doing the complete 180 from from data but you know he's not playing lore here he is playing a different character and i think he does a great job you know what what i think is interesting about this episode though really is that 
it allows this is this is really the ensemble working at its best and this is an episode where everybody sort of gets a moment to shine you know jordy gets a moment uh riker gets a moment picard gets a moment Worf gets a moment you know all the main gets a moment even yeah even ensign Rowe gets a moment and so you know it's nice that they're able to have sort of a not a deep they don't really have a deep backbench, but they have they have a shallow one. But at least it's one that we know, and we can kind of go, okay. I I think that you know adding in these different characters yeah. gives the episode a little bit of a different flavor than it maybe otherwise would have. And then of course also we get Picard putting himself in harm's way as well, which is always yes. a good option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone again, everyone gets something interesting to do. Every. It was a cool episode in a lot of ways. Again, it's all almost all plot this episode, and I really liked the way the plot did twist on itself a few times. It really, I did find this was one of those. You know, not knowing what happens in this episode, I was kind of surprised when they, with every revelation, you know, it, you know, you have this initial, well, we're the crew of this ship, you know, but which doesn't quite make sense, and then at the end they find out what it really is. You know, you have this. The plan, you know, you have these two plans trying to go against each other. I like when they have, it's the kind of episode where the heroes and the villains are equally capable. And so it becomes really interesting because I like when we, when the ship has really good security measures in place that it's working on, you know, because you don't, whenever there's an obvious flaw in something, someone doesn't question something well enough or someone doesn't, you know, make the obvious, well, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just force field them in there? They answer all of these questions. The crew tries everything they can and, you know, these shipjackers are basically, you know, one step ahead of them. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And and the nice thing about The Next Generation, I think in general in this episode in particular, you know, it's interesting because... As I've gotten more involved with Star Trek and I've started going to conventions again and things like that um, and, and rewatching The Next Generation after, you know, not seeing it for, for a few yeah. years, you know, it's funny because really the original series is held up as a, as a, as a great television show and Deep Space Nine has, has really gotten a, a really, really strong um, reputation. reputation. The Next Generation has been sort of overshadowed and I think... You know, the, the the year or so that we've been covering The Next Generation so far, you know, what I'm finding is that, you know, I've discounted the show a lot because it's very easy to do this kind of television show, which is, you know, week to week, everything is, is the, pretty much the same. Go back to status quo. There's a lot, you know, people make jokes about the reset button all the time and, it's, you know, events from one episode don't yeah, necessarily yeah. matter and et cetera. We all know those things. But it's very easy to do this type of show, but it's very difficult to do this type of show intelligently. And this is a good example of the show taking a stock, you know, terrorist. Yeah. Hijack die hard on the enterprise pretty much. And, and, you know, there's about three or four places in the episode where they could go a very obvious direction. And, they don't do it. You know what I mean? Because I'm thinking about the very beginning of the episode. They pretty much could have had the entire episode take place on that planet. They Again, don't do the, it. The, the, there have been several episodes where you think it's going to be on the planet and they're going to be trapped on the planet. And how do we get off the planet? And they are off, you know, by the cold open. Right. And that's what I like about the show is that it's not doing the obvious thing. It's doing the difficult thing. And, you know, there's certainly been a lot of episodes where 
they have faltered or they have failed. But I think the show we we've always I think admired the show for when it 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 tries, and I think we've criticized yeah. the show the most for when it's just really lazy and not trying. And, and I would would I. I would like to deal with, but again, because you say it's hitting the reset button, I don't think the show does this as much as you would think because, you know, yes, at the end of the episode, they solve it and, you know, we'll talk about this, I think, a little more with the next episode, Um, but they figure out the problem, but there are ramifications in later episodes. At the very least, everything that we've seen happened. It's not like, you know, the characters remember it and they may have just thought of it as another weird week on the Enterprise because, let's face it, there are a lot of weird weeks on the Enterprise, and, you know, but, you know, they ha- they know what to talk about. It. You know, they may meet a character in a later episode. They may, you know, get into a similar situation and say, oh, hey, this reminds me of the time. You know, it's a show that's aware of itself, that reali- that every episode is not... It, it, there is a degree to which every episode of the original series was a pilot, in a way. Yeah. And... That's not the case here. You know, again, this episode draws a lot of strength by the fact that we've spent four and a half seasons with them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, even little things with Riker and Ensign Rowe on the bridge. Yeah. Or you have Picard dealing with Troy or you have, you know, the the uh, uh, you have the possessed Miles O'Brien, you know, going after Keiko and he doesn't yeah. even really know why. You know, all of these things really do add to the episode. And if you don't watch the show regularly, 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 regularly. This would be something that would go over your head, but if you watch yeah. it all the time, there's different resonances to it, and there's different things that you can really get a lot out of, I think. Yeah. I do want to talk about, because this is my podcast. Uh, our podcast. Okay, our podcast. Aww. The Daedalus class and the Essex and this idea of, because I'm fascinated by this. because. Okay. You know, this is kind of an era that is very underdeveloped in Star Trek uh, lore and Star Trek canon. And so what you have is this episode taking place in, I think, like 2367 or 2368. Um, And this is where Richard's eyes are going to start glazing over. But And you have this idea that there's this ship, the USS Essex, which was out there exploring, you know, disappeared over 200 years ago. So in other words, timeline-wise, you have the era of the Daedalus-class starships about a hundred or so years past, and then you have original series, and then another generation, and you have next generation. Right. So that, that's roughly the... Yeah, that's roughly the timeline. So, And I don't think Richard could have done that a year ago. No. So, so this is predated. This is... Uh, in other words, the original series would be the next generation equivalent yeah. to a, de- a series set in the Daedalus. Yeah, pretty much. And so what I what I find interesting about that is twofold. Number one, I really want to know what that ship was like, and I want to know who these people, what these people were like, and all these kind of things. We don't really find any of that out. Which yeah. okay, fine, because it's not an episode about that. Um, it's not an episode about the history of Starfleet. And if it were, that would be wonderful. But I think a lot of people would have, would have been bored by that. But just as much people would have loved it, probably. Don't you have, like, a book of, like, maps of, like, Klingon land or something? Yes, I do, and it's called Klingon land. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a theme park in Pennsylvania, actually. Aww. Dutch Klingon land. Anyway. <laughs> you can get really good funnel cake. So, and then I, but where I'm going with this is Picard is talking to them. And when they are possessing Troy, O'Brien, and Data... They obviously, you know, the, you know, spoiler alert, these are actually criminals and this was a penal yeah. colony and that's the big twist ending, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, but 
what I find interesting about that is there is that moment when they've obviously decided to concoct this story that they are the disembodied consciousnesses yeah. of the captain, his first officer, and the security chief. And, you know, maybe. You know, it's it, it, to to the episode's credit, that seems plausible. You know, yeah, because- there's a there's the stuff that they quickly point out. Oh, that doesn't add up. Why would a Starfleet captain act like this? And you know, they explain it by well, they're obviously gone mad. You know, but you know, again, for the for that leg of the episode, everyone just kind of runs with it because it's the only working theory. Yeah. And and I guess, you know, my my point or my question for you is, you know, we've talked a lot about how different Picard is from Kirk and how yeah. different Starfleet and the Federation of this era is from what we see in the original series and even in the original series yeah. movies. And so does it ring true to you that Picard would have such a hard time believing that these uh, disembodied consciousnesses are the crew of the USS Essex when we know that? You know, people a hundred years ago were quite a bit different. The Federation was quite a bit different, and Starfleet was quite a bit different. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, even Kirk wouldn't, you know, go and take a ship hostage if he needed it. You know, Kirk even would talk to the, you know, so talk to the captain and say, you know, look, here's what's, you know, like I, I sure. think. I th- I don't think there's a le- that level of cowboy is in the Federation and that level of. Because they do put a lot of people into harm's way. They, at the very least, terrify a ton of people without even first trying the diplomatic route. And I I get the sense that, again, even in Kirk's day, though Kirk is a lot more willing to, you know, cowboy up and make his own, you know, decisions and, you know, go into a fistfight if he needs to, um... While the la- while the while the last resort option happens quicker for Kirk, it's oh, it's still the last resort, and I don't think even a two hundred years a year ago Federation would make a captain somebody who would do you know do that right away. Like it doesn't seem like I I think it's fundamentally against any iteration of the Federation that they would do this. No, I think that makes sense, and I buy that. Uh, you know. And I, I guess really you, it, it just seems like the one false note in the episode because, of course, they kind of gloss over the idea that they've just gone insane. Yeah. Um, and, you know. But again, it's a crappy explanation. It's the only explanation they have at the time. And I think even in the episode, they kind of, again, Picard doesn't really seem to believe that at all. And he knows that something's off about it. He doesn't, right. Right. He doesn't seem to buy it, obviously. And Picard wouldn't buy that kind of story. Yeah. But, you know. Maybe this is the problem with the standalone style of storytelling because we talked, what, two or three episodes ago about a matter of time and how everybody seemed incredibly credulous to believe yeah. this con man. And now it's the exact opposite when I'm not sure that you could really buy that. I mean, it seems like it's more a matter of the demands of the plot more than anything else which yeah there are times when picard will be suspicious of someone just because you know he needs to be for the purpose of the plot because it may you know he doesn't need to be rooked he doesn't want to be rooked in them or whatever yeah i mean it there are see the thing is with a show like this the characters almost inhabit a kind of continuum sometimes and they can they do have the room to act a little more out of character from time to time than they would have in a modern TV series, which is more heavily dependent on continuity. Which is not to say that, you know, again, Picard is always going to act roughly in a certain manner, but we can have a week in which 
he's a little more believing or a little less believing and well that was just how he is that week you know i mean it, it almost does make sense that you know given another situation he'd randomly decide you know yeah i guess i could buy that i mean at the end of the day i don't think it matters all that yeah. much but i but i do i do use it as another data point on the you know sometimes the show does things that don't necessarily make sense and i don't know that i wanted to get away with it now it works in this episode because this episode is very strong. It yeah, again, we it didn't, would... It didn't work in a matter of time because a matter of time wasn't very good. Yeah. And so I guess there's a lot of uh, forgiveness involved in, in episodes that are very good. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it is a... There are some episodes, and this is definitely one where you can see why Picard would be a lot more paranoid than he would have been, you know? Especially by that point in the plot, his ship has been taken over. His well, yeah, I mean— Three I mean, best o- three of his closest friends and officers have been, you know, taken over by something. So, yeah, he is not going to necessarily believe everything he hears. Well, that that's pretty much it. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day— uh, crazy hair man from a matter of time whose name I don't remember wasn't really doing anything to to put the ship at risk and so it seemed like an okay kind of throw of the dice to just go all right he is who yeah. he is whatever let's let's get on with our starshipping but in this episode these three people are obviously putting the ship in danger putting yeah. people in danger and Picard is not going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're yeah, not yeah, acting yeah. like reasonable people. At the same time, I do find this version of Picard more in line with how – like, that. Like again, yeah. the characters inhabit continuums. The matter of time Picard stretches it towards the edges of that. This is a lot more normal Picard. I, I, would, I would go with that, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe the last thing I want to mention before we move on to ethics is – uh, just a marker that we were in the 90s, and this was a television show made in L.A. in the 90s, is that we had the appearance of the actress who played Lita Alexander from Babylon 5 as a security guard. I didn't even see her. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. should see this again. They huh. do that. Did you do that sometimes? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Like um, Andreas Katsoulis uh, yeah. played Tomalak. Yeah. And also played Jakar. Huh. So there you go. Uh-huh. Uh, I will give this episode... Six disembodied consciousnesses. I would give it eight prisoners. Okay. It felt very exciting. I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, I'm so worried about Troy. (laughs) You know, I will say, we've knocked Marina Sirtis' acting from time to time, but... Again, and there have been some episodes where Troy has done a lot more, and she's sort of able to handle it. Yeah, no, she's she's good. And I, I have to give her credit because, you know... I was reading on Memory Alpha about this episode, and I don't really talk about a lot of the trivia. It's more background information for me. But one of the things I thought was interesting, since you bring this up, is that um, she was the only uh, cast member to do her own stunt in the first you know, part of the episode where they all get knocked back, and she broke her coccyx. <laughs> so, Wait, the, why, why, why didn't the others do their own stunts? Because they are weak. Okay. And Marina Sirtis is a strong person. Good for her. So let's talk about ethics or how I learned to stop caring about Dr. Kevorkian. Ah, uh, yeah. This is a – again, this is – we just had a very high concept, action-y, scary, you know, what's going to happen, you know, edge-of-your-seat plot. Here we have a broody piece about medical ethics that – I mean the sci-fi episode – the sci-fi elements of that are – 
more or less in, uh, incidental in this one. Yeah, they don't matter. This could be an episode of ER for, for you know, with just a couple names changed. And Except that this does not take place in Chicago. No. It takes place on the Starship Enterprise. Okay, but the Starship Enterprise could have docked in Chicago. <laughs> Um, no, Chicago was destroyed in World War Three. Oh, okay. I don't know that that's true. Um, it should have been. No, 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 no. Um, I liked this episode, even though it was an extraordinarily preachy episode. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, we have seen we have seen the next generation do the kind of social commentary that the original series was famous for. I think much more in the fifth season and it hasn't even done it that much in the fifth season than it really has in the past couple. You know, this is not a show that, yeah, the show definitely had an identity crisis in the first couple of years. It wasn't really sure what it was doing. And then of course, in the third season, Michael Pillar reinvented it as a character based drama. And I think they're starting to move a little bit in the direction of doing a bit more social commentary. Yeah. And I think it works well in this episode. You know, I think if you if you put it into a continuum and you put it into context about when this was, oh, yeah. you know, this was in 1991 and Dr. Kevorkian had become famous, I think, in 1989 or 1990. Uh, this is obviously an episode about assisted suicide. This is an episode about medical ethics. And yeah, it's it, about it, a lo- it works like it's preachy, but it's not any less preachy or any more preachy than a lot of other episodes this of is, Star Trek. What this is also reminding me is also, you know, AIDS was in the world at this point and you did have a lot of, um, you know, AIDS patients who basically were begging for experimental medications, figuring, you know, yeah. if I'm going to die anyway. I'd rather die at least, you know, give me random drugs. You know, if they don't work, well, at least you'll have gotten some data point, you know. You have these kind Yeah, this was around this was right before or around the time that like AZT and yeah. the retrovirals started becoming big, right? You also had a lot of similar developments in cancer re- treatment at this point. Again, right. a lot of cancer patients who were inspired by the, you know, the act up and again saying, you know, put drugs into bodies, you know, and well, if I'm going to die of cancer, give me the most aggressive treatment, you know, I consent to that. So So are you saying that Worf is a member of ACT UP? I think he is kind of the equivalent of Larry Kramer. Okay. You may have you might have to um explain what act up is for the listeners because I don't think a lot of straight people know what it is. Okay, so um basically And I just condescended to you, but get over it. <laughs> um the eighties, you know, obviously the advent of HIV in especially in cities like New York, um you had a lot of people felt that the government was not responding to this. You know, I, I read a statistic the other day. It was like the number of deaths from AIDS before we appointed an AIDS czar was like 300,000. The number of Ebola cases was one. Right. And like, you know, things like that. So you had a lot of people who felt that, you know, because AIDS, uh, because HIV and AIDS, especially during its early years, was a seen as a disease of gay people, of drug addicts, of, you know, all unsavory people in society. A lot of right. people felt that the lack of a... Uh, national response to AIDS was a very bigoted and uh, classist response, which yes. it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you had groups like ACT UP was an or- activist organization, which was very um, – it was a very aggressive one. It was a very – it would do they, stuff they, like they would like – They had a die-in at St. Patrick's in, yeah. in New York, for example, during yeah. mass. Like they did things like that. Yeah. Um, so again, they, they, they – that's – 
a lot of the reason that we did have a end up having a response to AIDS was because there were a lot of very loud organizations that were, you know, making, and then you have, you know, gay men's health crisis and, uh, you know, a lot of organizations like that. So, so I guess in a sense then, you know, this episode is kind of a combination between, you know, I don't think that this episode is really, it's it's, not intended to be an analog of any disease or anything. And I think the reason that this episode works so well is because, Again, it extrapolates this into not being about any specific disease, not about any specific issue, because it's not totally a right-to-die episode. It's not totally a medical experimentation episode. It's not totally a consent episode. But it deals with – there are a lot of ethical issues around how medicine is practiced. That is always going to be the case and always has been the case. And this is just addressing some of them. And I I think I liked this episode because it's a crusher episode that's – doesn't have to do with her finding a new boyfriend, but this is something that, you know, this is more likely what her crises, crises are going to be on a day-to-day basis because she is dealing with medical ethics issues every single day. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I always remembered this as a Wharf episode. Yeah, it's, he's But not, it's really not. It's really a Dr. Crusher episode. Yeah. It's a very strong one for her. Yeah. You know, the, the, the right to die stuff is certainly there and it certainly takes up a portion of the running time. And it, it is not, And I'd, uh, I don't want to discount its importance to the plot at all. And it's certainly, I think, the, the guiding sort of arc of Worf's development in this episode. Yeah. But this is really an episode about... Dr. Crusher and this other doctor whose name I don't remember and didn't write down because who cares, uh, guest star of the week doctor, having a, a significant disagreement about medical ethics and whether or yeah. not it's right to advance medical science even though you may yes. kill people. Yeah, and even when the person who is being operating on is 100% aware of the risks and consenting, is it still right or wrong, you know? This is an episode where we get a lot more of who Dr. Crusher is as a person and as a doctor. Um, I mean, that speech she makes at the end, which is, you know, this isn't, you know, progress doesn't happen with just like these leaps, like and shortcuts, you know, it has to happen, um, you know, in incremental, it needs to be detailed, it needs to be painstaking. Um, I think it's really interesting because, you know, at the very beginning of the episode when she meets this other doctor, you know, the other doctor says, oh, I prefer to keep a bit more of a distance. I want to be more objective about this and all of that. We know that that's never how Crusher would operate, you know, she. And I also think that, you know, in light of what the doctor ends up doing, Mm. I think that she wants to keep that professional detachment because. Yeah. She doesn't want to view her patients as people. She can't because they're. In a way, she's yeah. She's she she may be a brilliant doctor. I think the I think the episode makes the case that she is a brilliant researcher and that she is you know the, this the treatments that she is developing once the kinks are out will help so many people. And I think she genuinely does want to help people as a mon- right. as a gigantic group. She wants to help the science of medicine and all of that. She just doesn't give a shit about individuals. Well, you yeah, that's exactly right and I think she would say the ends justify the means, yeah. right? And and the episode is really smart because I think if you look at it, if you just had an episode which was about, you know, Worf having this very traumatic injury which, you know, obviously as what we know about Worf, he would not yeah. want to live like this. The episode makes it very clear that he does not want to live like this. And, you know, 
that's his choice, right? And Picard is obviously the arbiter here, and he's the one who understands Klingon culture. And I thought days. it was kind of shocking, but made sense when, you know, Picard basically says to Riker, look, that's his decision. You have to, as his friend, respect that. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, I mean, Riker is as shocked, you know, as that is hearing because, you know, for Riker, because Riker is a very vivacious person. He would never want to kill, you know, he doesn't, the thought of somebody wanting to kill himself is a foreign thought that Riker will, will never be able to not, not com- even not even more than that Riker thinks it's offensive yeah it's it's something he can never understand and so um you know and I like that I like his way of getting out of it because he you know he it, he, it, he he out Klingons morph. Yeah, uh, yeah. He 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 very much is like you know what you want me to do this letter of the Klingon law or Klingon yeah, whatever. I mean, tell your son to kill you. Yeah. Do it. Tell, <laughs> tell your two year old son to, to put a knife through your heart. Yeah, and I think that's great. And and you know I want to go back to that scene with Picard and Riker in a little yeah. bit. But you know what what I like about this is that if this was just an episode about that then it would have been a much more cut and dried episode and yeah. it would have been a lot less interesting and there wouldn't have been as much moral gray. Because but again, w- yeah, as the, the the entire issue of, you know, Worf does consent to this very dangerous surgery. He's consented to so many dangerous missions. Right. And again, he even says like, look, if I die during this, I've died advancing science and that's an honorable death. If it doesn't, you know, otherwise I would, I'm nothing, you know? And yeah, but what I what I think is is really smart on the episode's part is, you know, I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to. I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to like the character of the Doctor. No. I don't think that we're necessarily supposed to even respect her. And I think the one scene that really sticks in my mind more than any other, and Richard is nodding his head because I think he knows where I'm going, is, you know, when they take in the refugees from the ship and. The doctor is, is, is treating one of the, the, the patients and, and the patient dies and Dr. Crusher's asking her all these questions. And basically what happens is that, you know, she used the, the guest star, not not Dr. Crusher. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. used an experimental procedure that may or may not have worked. And in this case, it did not work. I think I, the patient. I would say she killed the patient. She killed I think the patient. We, you know, she, that needs to be very clear. Yeah, <laughs> she killed the patient. Dr. Crusher makes it very clear that if the doctor had used the the the, the correct and and sort of time tested traditional method of of curing this person it would have worked and so that puts this in a very different light because this is not a doctor who is asking terminally ill people yeah. whether or not they want to consent to an experimental procedure that may or may not mm-hmm. kill them she is a doctor who will use her experimental procedures or experimental medicine on people that would live even otherwise. Yeah, the the implication I got from that scene is she didn't even ask the like I I, I almost got the sense that the patient was in no condition to consent either I got the way. impression that the patient was like comatose or whatever. Yeah, comatose yeah. or in too much pain or whatever. So yeah, she performed an experimental procedure on somebody without their consent and killed them. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, at the end of the episode, I think Dr. Crusher doesn't go far enough with her because, damn, she gives her a dressing down. Yeah. But, and this is a great episode for dressing downs because Riker's to Worf is great as well. But that really she 
could have reported her to the medical board or something. I mean, you know, I don't know exactly what the procedures are in the 24th century Starfleet for yeah. reporting people to medical boards, but I think she probably could have, and she probably could have had the doctor's license drug. I'm fairly sure. I think sh- that she probably should have done that. I get the sense she almost did. I mean, she definitely. I mean, after the scene with the refugees, you know, she says, you're not allowed to practice medicine on my ship right now. And that's in a file somewhere. You know, this is I get the sense Dr. Crusher has done what she could to put black marks on this woman. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that Dr. Crusher definitely, you know, and that that's the interesting thing is that, you know, this is really the first Dr. Crusher episode we've had since what? Remember me last year? I think so. Or last season. So and that was a good episode as well. And, you know, what I what I like about that is, you know, this is a very much an episode that plays to her strengths and that we are able to get a complete and full picture of Dr. Crusher in a professional context yeah. in a way which we haven't really been able to do before. And she's really ruthless. Yeah. Frankly. And I mean, like, I think, yeah, I think the episode makes it clear that it's not that Crusher is not willing to take risks. I mean, because they could have easily made it as, well, Crusher is very conservative and she does the time-tested method. You know, when they're in the surgery with the wharf, like, the guest doctor says, oh, my God, you're going to kill him if you go. And she basically said, well, we've done that already. Like, you know, we, you know, she does that scene with this cortical stimulator, which is very, I mean, that I would like to see that scene next to Tarsha Yar's death just yeah. to double check how, you know, if they. But that that's exactly what I reminded one when she keeps, you know, beyond when it's obvious that, you know, she's still trying, you know, she is doing all she can for her patient. And, you know, when this. I th- I think it's very significant at the you know again I think about the refugee scene where the d- other doctor doesn't even seem to be upset right you know, when she says you know I don't like losing any patients any more than you do you get the sense it's more because well then I didn't make a success that week you know I don't have anything to be proud of that week you know I gotta still research more yeah and I think that's really you know kind of the hidden moral of the episode in a way is that. There are no shortcuts in, yeah. in science and in medicine. And so if you are going to take shortcuts, you are going to pay for it or someone is going to pay for it in some way. And w- what this episode is saying is that the, the you know, this is obviously Dr. Crusher saying you, you do not take shortcuts. You know, this is not approved by Starfleet. This is not approved by the Federation. You do not do this on my ship. And laying down the law and saying you're not going to practice medicine on yeah. the ship anymore. You know, it it's it's. It's the argument of, well, the mean, the ends justify the means or the ends do not justify the means in, in a way. And, and this is a very much an episode of the ends do not justify the means. You know, I always wonder if there is a – because, again, I think about the scene when, you know, the other doctor says, you know, well, that work you know, it's fine to get close to your patients. You're a ship's doctor, but, you know, I'm not – like, there is almost a sense of criticizing Crusher as not being as – glitzy as this woman is because she's She's a rock star doctor yeah and she's she's probably famous that's yeah she's got in you know papers she's written papers she's developed all of these techniques you know but then think about the the first thing that she says to dr crusher the second thing she yeah is crusher which is hey i read your paper on whatever yeah i really liked it and dr crusher's like oh you you know yeah i i i Again, I don't think the episode—she conducts herself very unethically in a lot of places, but again, I think that if she was just a research doctor and not actually doing anything on patients, I think she would be a—she— she does better would be better as one of those random scientists that they found find in an outpost and has a you know yeah. in an episode like that's what she does 
Yeah, and I, you know, I struggle with is she like a good person or not because I think that she's not a bad person. I just think that she's she she's, has too high of a perspective. She's looking at the forest, and I think she. In a way, she's almost an incarnation of the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. And this is the yeah. serious – I mean this is an episode where they, they are very firmly going on the side of the few. Actually, in a way, I wonder if Next Generation in general is refining that attitude because that was definitely the attitude of the original series. Well, I think that – I think that's an interesting question, but I I, I think not to put too fine a point yeah, on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it's kind of a it's kind of a false dichotomy because yeah you know the, the the basic theory behind the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one is that you know absent everything else being equal the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one but this is not an equal situation yeah you can get the same outcome in two different ways and that's why this is much more of an episode of a think about the ends don't justify the means because. This is not an episode saying, well, we should not uh, experiment on, you know, we should not have experimental medical procedures if people consent. Uh, We should not, uh, you know, try and bring medicine forward. This is an episode which is saying there is a very specific way in which we conduct ourselves when we are given the power over life and death. And in this situation, when you're developing new drugs or you're developing new surgical techniques to save people's lives. Yes, certainly. And and the doctor in the episode even says as much that people in the future will thank her for doing this. That's pretty crazy. You know, I mean, well, she's, it's, she's a little unhinged Again, that the, 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 there, there is this, yeah, she, what she specifically says is that, you know, well, imagine that your great-grandchild gets your life saved by, and like Dr. Crusher basically says that's bullshit. Like she yeah. says, don't throw hypotheticals at me. We don't know that any, you know, this avenue of research may turn into nothing because many 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 avenues of research turn into nothing and yes if that's how that that will deal with that then but you know crusher is dealing with the here and now and she's dealing with the patient and she's dealing with the procedures that she knows and right and so that's kind of the idea i think is that you know the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is that this is a situation where the needs of the many and the needs of the few are not necessarily in conflict. Well, the needs of the many are also hypothetical and shadowy, and the needs of the few are really present. Right. This this is a that that's that whole hypothetical. You know, well, what would you do if there was a a, a baby and an old man and a boat and you were you know like all that kind of crap. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, yeah. If that, ever, if that ever happens, then I'll worry about it. I'll but it's probably, find out who I am. And, you know what my character is at that point, but I can't prepare for it. Yeah, right. It's probably it's not worth even thinking about because there's there's no possible way to make that decision. And so I think that's what this episode is saying is that yeah, that makes sense, but only if they're in conflict. And they're not in conflict in this episode. I don't think. I want to talk about the ending because I mean I like that they figure out a way to have their cake and eat it too about having Worf die because you know that you know the second that they tell Worf you'll never walk again he's going to be walking by the end of the episode like okay that's gonna you know I know this um they already played that trick with Tashiar they're not doing it again um but I think it's interesting like uh, he only survives because he is a Klingon really yeah yeah I mean they make it clear that you know again if this were a human she would have 
they would have killed him on the table. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, it, it's it's hard. Well, I think in, 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 a, in a sense, the end of the episode is my least favorite part because yeah. it's, it's obvious that they're not going to kill War. Yeah. It's obvious that he's not going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of the show. They want to give us a scene where, oh, my God, they killed War. Right. I kind of wish they hadn't done yeah. that, frankly. But I think you're right. I think that it it it, it makes it a nice encapsulation of some of the episode's themes, which is that, you know, to go back to that scene with Riker and Picard, for example, where Riker is really struggling with what Worf yeah. asked him to do, and Picard is saying, well, you know, Klingons don't choose their friends casually, yeah. and he's obviously asking you for something. We don't need to understand it. We don't even need to like it. We just need to respect it. And so... It's his Klingonness that puts him in this situation to undergo this experimental medical procedure because, frankly, I don't think a human would have done it. You know, humans get paralyzed. I mean, yeah. you know, certainly we're not happy about it, and it's it's a struggle, and it takes a long time to, you know, sort of come to terms with it physically and emotionally and psychologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... You know, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to be paralyzed from the waist down, and I hope I never find out. But... Like, well, well, I, I, but but at the end of the episode, it's 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 you know that it, so it puts him in you know that his Klingonness puts him in that situation, but it's also what saves him, and so it's a nice sort of like you know parallelism there. I yeah. think, and they've also furthered Klingon medicine because the begin at the beginning of the episode they say the Klingons don't really know much about this area and this kind of injury. They would. You know, every other Klingon who has been in this kind of situation has killed themselves. And so they might not even know that they have a backup neurological system in their bodies. Yeah, and that's a little weird. I mean, not so not so much. I mean, we don't understand our bodies as, you know, fully, you know, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's funny because I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this episode, but but sort of the 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 most interesting sort of throwaway line is you know the the doctor saying that she doesn't think that the redundancies of the klingon body are a good thing because it just means there's twice as many things to go wrong which is kind of an interesting way to look at it you know because the klingons obviously would say oh well we're very strong and this is something that's good and you know we can take a lot of beating and we'll be fine but it's true that you know you have twice as many organs that's twice as many organs that can get cancer you know like that's 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 right (laughs) that's right exactly if you have two, you know, if you have two stomachs, one of, you know, then you have a, a double the chance of getting stomach cancer, you know? If you yeah, have... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing we haven't talked about is, I think, Alexander. And... What do we have to? <laughs> I mean, we don't have yeah, no, to. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I, I, I honestly have to say... Uh, my initial reaction, because I had forgotten that he had a son for a second, yeah. and I thought, "Oh wow, that's a really nice callback that they remembered he had a kid." Like, <laughs> you know, it, it was. I I I don't like Alexander. I think he's a twerp, but I have to be a little charitable towards him because this was not an era of good child actors. Yeah. <laughs> He's not a good child actor, and I think it had much more to do with who do we cast that's going to be able to put up with this makeup than anything else. You know, I just, I don't know if, you know, this is maybe the the show making some decisions that 
don't really work because I'm not really, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything for you, but I don't think I'm gonna surprise you by saying that Alexander never really works. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and 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 so for me, it's like, why give Worf this son? You know, I don't ever get the sense in non Alex episodes that don't have Alexander that Worf like. The episode—it's one of the few things where you don't feel like Worf actually—you know—Alexander actually exists when Worf is, you know, not with him. Yeah, it seems and, like he keeps him in a closet. Somewhere yeah, like pulls I, him out when he needs to be Klingon. You, I don't, you know, do you really? I don't really feel like at the end of the events of Power Play, he came home and Alexander said, "What did you do today, Daddy?" During the you know siege of the Enterprise, you know, tell me what. And like Worf talked about, like you know, like I don't think that they have dinner together. You know, I don't picture them like. He does he dress his kid before school? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, no, because Klingons can dress themselves when they come out of their mother's vagina. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just bizarre to me. Like, it, it it's one of those things that the show decides. You oh, know, I thought that Klingons were born by cesarean section that the baby performs themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they have a mini bat left. <laughs> actually, yeah, the mother has a mini bat left, and she sticks it up her vagina <laughs> into her into her. Um, whatever area uterus uterus thank you wow I, I don't know that much about physiology obviously and uh well she has two so you don't know which one you know and so she has to decide and so if she chooses the right one oh. and if the the baby is able to, to take it and get out then that means that the baby is a strong klingon <laughs> and deserves to survive is this canon yes wow it is yeah and i think you know i, I don't know what Again, I don't know what having Alexander on the show really provides for anybody. Like, it doesn't seem to add anything. I don't know why they decided that Worf needed to have a son that was going to be on the show from time to time. I guess, you know, they wanted to give Worf different things to do, or they wanted to have some different options for for character motivations for Worf or storylines. And that's all fine, but... Again, it's just it, – it's it's really a problem because there's absolutely no chemistry between Michael Dorn and oh, Brian Bonsall. And they don't come across as a believable father and son no. in any respect. And obviously, like – honestly, they act like ex-lovers who are really awkward around each other and don't know what to say. I'm not saying that like in a pedophile way. I'm just saying like that's kind of like the vibe yeah, yeah, where it's yeah, just like yeah. they don't know how to talk to each other and they don't know what to say to each other and they kind of look at each other like what? Like I you know You know and it, yeah, I get that especially in their first episode like yes, this is just two people who have just randomly kind of hey, here's your son. You don't know each other, but you know, have a relationship now, you know. But th- I don't feel like they've made any progress in I mean, I think they've made a little progress. I think, you know, from from the last time that we saw Alexander, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I think that obviously they've he's worked doing on better relationship in school. Yeah, he's got more discipline, you know, all of that. Worf yeah. is smiling at him a couple times, which is like, whoa. I mean, you know, he's saying, take the knife back to our quarters. And it's like, okay, you know, whatever. Um, that's all fine. I guess that's kind of the, the Klingon equivalent of letting your kid go to school by himself for the first time, like carrying a knife through the halls. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, they're just like picture him like running with this little knife, you know. And- it wasn't even that little. It was like six inches long. I mean, you know. Um yeah, and there's little things like that, and obviously, you know, the the, the end where, you know, Worf is struggling to walk, and he falls, and Alexander, you know... He He's has- like, my son, help me, so the good kid stands in Worf's way. <laughs> Alexander, you are just the worst. <laughs> what are you doing? You're not good at this. 
Yeah, I just, you know, and Alexander is never good at this, but oh. I think it's, you know, they're trying and I think it's kind of nice, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of a waste of time. It feels like a waste of time. Yeah. You know? Again, they had to put Alec. It feels like they had to put Alexander in this. Ep- you get almost the sense that they had, you know, someone pitched the, okay, we're going to write this really complex, you know, dramatic episode. Worf gets paralyzed and we're going to have, um, you know, Dr. Crusher is going to be dealing with this other doctor who wants this, you know, and it'll be about the right to die and medical ethics. And someone says, cool. So what's Alexander doing in this episode? And you see the writer saying, shit. Yeah. Shit. Why did we write him? All right. We got to get, you know, we, we can't ignore, you know, can we ignore him? Do you think the audience will forget that he has a son? Can we just say that he was sleeping the entire time? <laughs> did he go visit his relatives? Like something. He went back. He went back to the Klingon homeworld for some reason. I mean, reason. it's it's. I like. It's nice that he tells. You know, he essentially makes Troy the guardian of Alexander. Should anything happen? Yeah, that's I, a very nice moment between Worf and and Troy, and it says a lot about Troy. And you know, I think that was a wonderful th- touch. Yeah, and I think that 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 speaks a lot to like the slow burn of that that friendship. Yeah, that, you know. We don't see them on screen a lot, but but when we do, the show has been sort of building this. I I remember once, and I don't remember which episode it is, but basically there was one episode where Troy's trying to, you know, get Worf to open up to her, and he's saying, you know, the captain doesn't, you know, talk about his problems, you know, to everybody, and she says, well, he talks to me, and yeah, you know, that was like I think the moment when like they first started to actually have conversation, and like yes, we have seen. They're not going to be the best of friends, but I think they both now really respect each other and understand their importance of each other. Yeah, I think so. And I think the fact that did did Troy did she actually agree to that on screen? I don't remember if she did. Yes, she does she does agree to that and she's you know, he says, Oh, if you don't want to and she's like, No, 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 you know. And then she like runs away, obviously, to have a good cry, you know. Yeah, because she's like, Oh shit. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. I think oh, so. God. I have to. On the one hand, I would love a child. On the other hand, it's Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. But look, Oksana Troy would be an awesome grandma. I, I can't. I just. All those things happen. I can't even. Just, oh no! Just, just remember you said. Oh that. no! Just remember oh, you said. Oh no! That. Never mind. I think I'm just gonna. Yeah. Go pray. Yeah. <laughs> you, you should. You should pray. Um, We're gonna get the Loxana Troy episode in a couple episodes, aren't we? Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh. And Alexander me or may not be in it. Okay. We'll find out in a hey! couple weeks. Is now what we need is an Alexander Q and the Loxana Troy crossover special. There is no Q episode this season, which I have mentioned many times before. Uh, so we will not see that this season, but Do maybe we'll see that in a future season. Q and Loxana Troy ever have an episode together? That's a good question. I because I would do that just to fuck with everybody. I don't think so. Oh well, that's a missed opportunity. But maybe there's a novel. I'll look into this. She I'll, would totally flirt with Q. I'll do some research. <laughs> yeah, and Q would probably go for it. Why not? Hey, you know. All right. Well, I'll give this uh, nine d- spinal columns. Okay, I will give it eight vertebrae. Okay. Uh, well, before we tell you what's up for next week. Uh, we're going to try something a little different. Oh, here. God. I, I know. P- prepare yourself. Um, we would like to invite you, the listener, to uh, comment on the post for this episode 
that can be found at trekaboutshow.com, our website, uh, where you will not find much else besides episodes right now, but we have future plans for different things. Uh, so just kind of put, okay. that as, put that as a bookmark if you feel like chiming in with your thoughts on the episode. Are we going to do something with those, like respond to them or something? Maybe. We'll see. Okay. I don't know. We should probably respond to them. Probably. Uh, so, yeah, leave a comment. That's your opportunity to ask us any kind of questions you want. Like, what kind of underwear do you wear? That's a weird question. Do you Hands. not ask us that? Um, Boxer what, briefs. What, what's your favorite uh, Star Trek dog? Uh, uh, that would be the little one with like the, the, the that what's his name was uh, Sulu was playing with with the little oh with the horn yeah! yeah yeah that's my favorite Star Trek dog yeah that's a good dog um, and also uh, probably the best way to to, to help us out uh, actually would be if you like the show and you have not written us an iTunes review uh, please do that because that is probably the the best way for new listeners to find us and the iTunes algorithm takes that into consideration highly. Okay. And if you have our, our rich person who would like to shower us with doubloons, you can do that. That would be fine as well. Um, again, leave a comment with their address. Uh, and then also, if you're not following us on Twitter, you're missing <gasps> out. Trek about show. Dot. No, no, just trek just, about just trek about show. No, dot com. It's twitter.com slash trek about show. Ah. And finally, we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash truck about show. So oh. just remember truck about show and that will get you through life. Except or at least in the next my space. No, no, we don't have my space. That would be ridiculous. Why, why would you say that? Because maybe we took a time loop to 2006. It is funny you say that because next week we are talking about the outcast and cause and effect. I don't know what that has to do with anything. You'll find out next week. And so will you. The listener. <laughs>